0: Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles.
1: Well, good morning, everyone, or afternoon or evening, whatever time you're tuning in here. I'm Judith Files, and I always love to share ahas, insights, um, tips, strategies about your author and publishing success. And with that, I often have special guests. And today, we do have a special guest, someone who has been in publishing longer than I have um, and has gone on to create a very successful, highly respected independent publishing company. Be prior to just going on his own, per se, he had his other company that was acquired by one of the big boys called Pengun um, Putnam at that time. And Rudy Schur has really focused on, um, he, has, he has a formula for his books. Um, I'm surprised that somehow I didn't discover him when I was still publishing with publishing, traditional publishers, um, because he had a whole arm that created healthcare books. Rudy, I actually wrote five healthcare books. I was known as the conflict doctor in healthcare. So,
2: where were you when I was looking for people like you?
1: I, I you know, I I knew how to work with a toxic workplace. Maybe we should revisit some of my old books and bring it back. Who knows? Um,
2: you, you never know.
1: <laughs> you never know, but. Rudy Schur is um, the founder of Square One Publishers, Um, and he really is, the he overheads the editorial program and what they publish and what they don't publish, and as Pub Weekly said, it's one of the fastest-growing indie publishing houses in the United States today. So one of the things that I want to do a dig in is to talk about Publishing where it was, where it's going, where it is today and where it's going. And I would love to do some kissing on this thing called hybrid publishing um, and maybe get into some of the good and bad and the ugly here, because there is some ugliness. Right? I mean, that's my experiences of some of the folks out here. Um, and, and, and they're, oh, good, oh, good. Well, we, I guess we're going to have a time with each other. Andy is also the author of a really chewy, smart book called How to Publish Your Nonfiction Book. It's in its second edition, and it's a complete guide to making the right publisher say yes. So if your dream, if your goal is to work with a publisher and not create it yourself, this is the book you want to get on your hands, in your hands. It's called How to Publish Your Nonfiction Book, and I'm sure plenty of strategies and tips will work for the fiction folks. So with that said, let's jump into this. I'm going to ask the question, um, how you know? How did you get into publishing?
2: Well, it turns out that um, I'm dyslexic. Ah. And so as a... Uh, teenager i honestly thought many years ago that everybody had a problem like i had and it would go away if you read if you studied as hard as you could and so as a teenager i started to read books i read books very slowly but i read books thinking the problem would go away the problem never went away but i enjoyed reading books And so uh, when it came time to find a job after I had gotten married, it turned out that a job was offered to me uh, as, well, not offered to me, but I had to get one, (laughs) from a college textbook publishing company. And so my first job was a sales rep going around from college to college selling textbooks. And I did that for approximately five years And at the very end of that time, I thought I could basically do it myself. I thought I knew enough to start my own college publishing company. Mm. So I actually started a company called Avery Publishing Group with two partners my best friend and my brother in law. And so we started out publishing college textbooks, and we did reasonably well. The problem with college textbooks is that they only have Uh, three seasons to sell books, fall, spring, and summer. And between that, you don't sell books. So we started to say, how can we sell books during that period of time? And so we started to look for marketplaces that would sell throughout the course of the years. And it turned out that health was one of them. And so as we progressed in terms of growing our company, we started to produce more and more books designed for the average individual based on health. And so for many years, we were lucky enough to work with some of the top people in the alternative health area, and from there, it just never stopped. It kept growing and growing and growing, and at a certain point, uh, Penguin Putnam at that point had come to us and said, we'd like to buy your company. And they made an offer that my partners couldn't say no to. And so uh, I did not want to drag two people forward who wanted to not necessarily work with the marketplace that uh, I really enjoyed working with. So I said I'd sell the company. Two months later, I said, I'm going to start my own publishing company. And since it was basically starting from Square One, I thought, you know what? That's a good name for a publishing company. So I called (laughs) the company Square One Publishers. And I was lucky enough at that point to take many of the uh, uh, management people who I had with my first company along with me. And so uh, today we are uh, the largest independently owned uh, publisher of Alternative and traditional health books in the U.S. So we're pretty mm. much where we were the first time,
1: mm. and
3: that's you know, where we are it, today.
1: And that's where you are today. And and just you know, my own side of that on the healthcare. One of the things I learned um, that where my my first book was a spinoff of a, a book I did for the general trade. And then we came in and exclusively did whole new I- interviews. My my specialty was conflict in the female-dominated workplace. And um, that the, the Browse Report on Women in Healthcare, which was a Josie Bass book with a tradition, more traditional. Then what happens, I created zapping conflict in the healthcare workplace. And my aha was when I really started understanding healthcare is that you could, your book, uh, retail price was traditionally higher than in the regular marketplace so when I brought that book, it was a fat book out um, uh, $29 when we went to reprint we did like 8 reprints on it, we, we increased it to 35 and nobody in the healthcare system blinked an eye it was quite a revelation for me quite a revelation
2: so. well, if you have a health problem and you are looking for answers, or at least understanding what you have and potential answers, then sometimes the price is not the first thing you're concerned about. You're you're concerned about getting a book that essentially provides you with information that you understand, which is really key to most good health books, and gives you the information both from what the traditional uh, uh, doctors will give you and what the alternative doctors will give you. <clears throat> so you can essentially consider the possibility of taking care of your problem on your own.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and so and, that was the underlying
2: uh, direction yeah. of yeah. most of our books.
1: Yeah, and then my books are all written for healthcare professionals. They I was on the other side, so that's when I realized I could raise the price. Because they were used to paying a lot of money for book. I was a little stunned with that. But moving on, so let's, uh, I, I, I've got a kiss on. A lot of has happened over our forty uh, four decades. Rudy, <laughs> um, what made it work back then? And you know the transition. You know, for me, I can tell you my transition happened. In in around 2020, when um, Simon and Schuster arbitrarily—I was I was a Simon and Schuster author at the time—Simon and Schuster arbitrarily decided that they would be paying royalties on net versus the retail price of the book, and that's when I started really looking at the dollars and cents and cents of publishing. We've all had those things, so that's when I started really getting involved in this thing, this business called publishing. You sound like you were you were way ahead of the mark, and maybe you saw it from the sales side, or what was your, well, transi- your transitions?
2: Well, essentially, it, it wasn't all that much of a transition. Um, huh. We knew, for example, college textbooks were selling at a 20% discount. So the bottom line for us was that the royalty, which was net, was based on the a wholesale price that we charged when I looked at trade then I basically said we'll still go with the net but we will probably pay more than what the average uh, uh, commercial trade publisher gives an author on wholesale so in the old days uh, the wholesale I'm sorry the, the uh, full price royalty was based on approximately a 5% net from the selling price. I'm not sure if that's what you got, but it, from there, it might go to a 6 maybe a 7 For best-selling authors, it would go to a 10% uh, of mm-hmm. the selling price.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Over the years, however, because of the changes in regard to the uh,
1: Okay, so I want you to hold the however. We're going to take our first break, and we'll come back with however.
0: Is your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host Dr. Judith Briles, and we'll be right back with more great information right after these.
3: Is there a book in you or another author? You shows you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hoodwinked. If you already have a book out, you will find a supportive and brainstorming community that is connected and creative, no matter where you live. Author U brings in national experts for its book camps and annual Author U Extravaganza. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics through Author U's extensive network. Members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publishing. AuthorU is the premier authoring resource in the country, creating community, education, guidance, vision, and success for the serious author. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, AuthorU is for you. Timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted on its social media platforms, and it is free. Discover AuthorU, where authors go to become seriously successful. Join AuthorU today at AuthorU.org.
1: Me with for this hour is Rudy Schur, and he has multiple hats he wears. when he's an author, um, and his book "How to Publish Your Nonfiction Book," which is now out in its second edition, should be on your must-have resource shelf um, as you're structuring it. He's also a publisher, and he has his other hat is Square One Publishers, which we have kind of been talking about the journey. And we left our break at the word, however. So I'm going to throw it back to Rudy, and I'm going to say, however, and let him finish the sentence.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, in regard to we were talking royalty. However, in some cases, if you are an author who has some experience, or you have a literary agent, you can negotiate and. Um, By negotiating, you can increase the amount of uh, royalty as well as your uh, advance if, as I said, the publisher wants your project. Um, If they necessarily do not want uh, uh, your project all that much, but you want the book published, then in some cases you don't push the envelope that hard. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of finding the right publisher, one that you feel comfortable with, Getting your best deal, and then as an author, playing the role of an author, helping to sell your own book uh, when you can. And that's pretty much it from a uh, standpoint of uh, selling and getting royalty.
1: So, Rudy, I'd like to ask you the, the question. I mean, you, um, I'm sure maybe you're the, the initial decision maker, the final decision maker on the acquisition side. Um, I would love to have you share some tips about pitching if this is the way they want to go and that what are you looking for? And I, I guess I should also ask the question, what kind of books would Square One like to publish for this coming year?
2: Well, uh, normally the books we publish are uh, more niche markets, books that are specific for a an audience that look for these kinds of books. And so in health, for example, um, if we do a book on uh, a situation like dry eye, um, that's not going to be for everybody, but people who Mm -hmm. have dry eye would want that book. We have Mm -hmm. a wonderful book on strokes. And the fact is that too, if most people before they suffer a stroke will not buy a book on strokes. However, if you know of somebody or you have a relative or you yourself Mm -hmm. have had a stroke, Mm -hmm. you may then at a certain point want a book to see exactly what you can do to overcome the many issues you have to face. So Mm -hmm. for us, we look for relatively niche markets that have an audience that want the kinds of books we want. Uh, We extend that to various other areas as well. So we do approximately uh, 20 different marketplaces, each of which have their own particular audience that are interested in the kinds of books we do. So while we publish books on health, we also publish books on uh, education, uh, children who have disabilities. That comes from my own background. And so we have books on various topics that deal with um, educational difficulties. We have books on—jeez—on um, uh, uh, <laughs> publishing. God, we we have a number of books that I have found important when it comes to authors knowing about their subject matter. Um, today, you mentioned today's marketplace. Today's marketplace authors unfortunately, are subject to various promotions that seem wonderful, that seem great. If I listen to them, I probably would want to have them publish my book, too. But once you understand some of the basics that they're not telling you about, you realize that you might be going down um, a very uh, a dangerous path in terms of losing a lot of money that you'll never see come back to you. And Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, uh, that to a great degree is happening throughout the United States. So for us, as I said, we look for those markets that people want to know more information about. Um, We do not do all that many books that are for general audiences. So for us, we know what we're looking for when we get a a, a letter from an author telling us about their... uh, project, and Mm -hmm. as the acquisitions editor, for me, it's not all that difficult to see whether or not it would fit the kind of books we're looking for.
1: Well, I'm a big believer in the niche market, Um, and I've always told people, the more you niche yourself, the bigger the market can become, because you become the whale in the pond versus the sardine in the vast sea. Well put. Yeah. (laughs) I have a poster that says that, Rudy. It's good yeah it's it's so important to understand that and you know when you talked about dry eyes, hey I live in the Rocky Mountains this is a problem here uh, <laughs> that's oh, a, yeah. That, yeah you know that the higher climates the higher altitudes it's a problem why well, I had to stop wearing contacts so with that said um that uh, i mean I, i'm I'm jumping all over the place but since you've opened the door what publishers the expectations the acquisitions um things that are you are looking for um with with four square does that start with um or square one i should not say four square I'm thinking of my childhood days Rudy when i played square <laughs> when do you think of square one Um, is that are you looking for just that initial query? Are you looking for the full-blown proposals? When I started publishing, we had to write full-blown proposals with all the ingredients. Uh,
2: In the old days, that was absolutely true. Uh, Over the years, however, uh, it's become – things have changed. And in the book that I wrote – the point I make is that acquisition editors are very busy people, and they wind up having to go through many, many uh, proposals every day. And the longer the material, the harder it is for people as acquisition editors uh, to have to evaluate a manuscript. And so uh, I've always felt that the shorter the proposal, the more focused the proposal, the more likely you will get a reaction from uh, a uh, acquisitions editor. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, information, your audience, some information, uh, one of the things that I tell them to do is create uh, a cover letter that has four sections in it. The first section which can be a paragraph or two, is an introduction to your book, telling them what the overall plot is, storyline, that you want the book to basically be uh, recognized as. The second section or paragraph is a look at the marketplace that you are going for, the audience you are trying to reach. Um, And the reason you do that is, as an author, you want to make the uh, editor feel as though you know who you're writing the book for. The worst thing that I continually see is uh, a note from somebody saying, this book is for everybody. And I'm going, for dead people, for live people, for people who don't read English? I mean, for everybody? Mm -hmm. There's no such book as for... Everybody, or at least there are very few books that are for everybody. So, by virtue of you telling the editor that you have a book specifically for a particular area, whether it's a big area or small area, that that second section becomes really important. And then you can also include some of the names of similar books that have done well that they can recognize. So, they understand that you're pretty smart author who knows who they're writing for. The third paragraph, or section, is about yourself. Um, if you have graduated college, if you are working in a particular job, if you've written anything else that's been published, it's important that the uh, editor know that who you are as an individual education, why you would be writing such a book. The last section of that cover letter would simply be, how much more information would you like to see in order to make a decision? And they would say, please send me a chapter or two, send me whatever the person wants, and um, that, for the most part, becomes your cover letter. Along with your cover letter, you include an annotated table of contents, which simply means you have the chapter names, and a, a sentence or two explaining what's in the chapter. And then you have a a two or three page overview of what your book is. And so you have a relatively condensed uh, package that uh, an acquisitions editor could go through within a few minutes and quickly determine whether or not they want this project. If they want the project, they will get back to you and tell you, please send me this. Now, along with that, you need to include a way for the editor to get back to you. I cannot tell you how many times I get proposals with no way of being able to get back to these people. They don't include a telephone number. They don't include their address. And they don't include um, an email address, I it, it's, which... In and of itself, is telling, but the fact is, people do that, and when you see something like that happen, even though it may be an interesting project, the person who would not necessarily include that information, you would be suspect to how that probably uh, that book was going to turn out. So, Mm -hmm. for us. Mm That particular thing is what I would be looking for. And in the book that I uh, have written, I lay out this information, and specifically for the fact that they do not want to spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes going through a 100-page proposal. It, it doesn't work mm-hmm. that way anymore.
1: Well, Rudy, as you went through this incredible goldmine mine of information over these last few minutes um, that I'm thinking, where was this man in my life? (laughs) I was thinking of jumping ships um, and doing it because it has changed. And your last little tidbit is had been one of my hot button pushers that, that people choose to stay invisible for whatever reason with the no contact um, and I know when I'm done programs, I want to work with someone. If I can't find their phone number in a nanosecond, guess what? You're off my list. Right. With that, we'll right. be right back.
0: is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Briles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these.
3: Discover the power of you and your book at the Judith Briles Unplugged events. Each summer, Judith Briles Book Marketing Unplugged unfolds over three intensive days working with just Judith. Go to thebookshepherd.com and click on the Events tab to learn how to participate at the next Unplugged Workshop event.
0: Welcome back to your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know, but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles.
1: What a great, fabulous um, uh, goldmine of information. Rudy sure gave us on the four components that a cover letter should have um, for you to get the eyebrows going up to an acquisition editor who's going to be saying, hmm, I want to know more. And then the kisser in here, make sure that you have your contact information, your email, your website, your here's my phone number. Uh, and some some people say this is my landline, but if you need me right now, here is my phone number. I know Rudy, people are always are just appalled when I will pick up the phone. I, I hate hiding behind voicemail. If I'm not working with a client or available with a client, I will pick up the phone um, and, and just say if I, I can't talk, but here, I will call you within this time and that's what I do. So it's, it's a different world today. If you want to get your book published,
2: absolutely, and, and so, being able to be contacted in as many ways as you can be becomes absolutely. an important element of uh, reaching out to uh, potential authors.
1: Yeah, exactly. As someone who does events featuring authors, and you know, I you know, I would you know love to do something forward, even you know, with your Moxie, and I'm working with some of your other authors who I've known for years. Um, that you have published already, but that I I need to know how to get them on the phone. So everyone, that includes your website, can I find you on your website, your phone number and your email? If I can't, you're probably going to end up in what we we call the kill file. We don't go back. It's too much work. You're making too much work for us. Rudy, can we talk about um, artificial intelligence? The AI a uh, little bit. Uh,
2: we, we can certainly talk about it in we regard to, I'm guessing, uh, books being created by AI programs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, the fact is that once you open the box up, there's no closing. And the fact that as much as you might hate the fact that books can be produced by artificial intelligence, it doesn't matter because if it can be done, it will be done. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a Chinese uh, a medical doctor who was able to change the genetic structure of the baby before they were born. And uh, he actually reported that he did it. The baby was born, mm-hmm. and the concept was if a baby had a particular potential illness, they perhaps could create the uh, the genes to avoid the baby having that. However, he did something else to make the baby perhaps smarter, or whatever he did. But that was the first recorded um, uh, procedure that got information out to the public, and the Chinese government arrested him for doing it. Well, the fact is that once he did it, it's very likely that somebody else is going to do it, except they're not going to tell the news media. Same thing happens with AI. If There's going to be a story, any kind of book, produced by AI. Somebody's not going to say this material is produced by AI. They're just simply going to take credit for it and run it by. And so the problem really becomes how do you stop it? How do you identify it? And from my standpoint, I I don't see where they can do that um i know that they are now authors are now looking for certain pieces of information coming out of ai that seems to come from their book ai is taking sections of words from other places and incorporating it into their material so uh, the only way i could see that somebody could identify it is if in fact They see sections taken from other places. But short of that, you know, you mentioned the world is changing. It is changing. And at this point, I would have absolutely no idea as to how you can stop that. I'd be happy to hear anybody who can figure it out. But for me, again, it's just one of those new twists that come out. Um, You can take it to the next step. What happens if a book comes out that it becomes a bestseller because it's so well done, and it is AI? How do you stop it? You don't. It's, as I said, um, a force to be reckoned with, but not necessarily one that you can identify all that easily.
1: I'm sure that you saw just recently that the Game of Thrones has sued Open AI. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> I'm so glad to share that with you. <laughs> Please. They just filed a suit for a all kinds of things, but it just came out, um, you know, the last week, this last week in September, um, it was revealed. And there's a couple of other lawsuits um, I'm looking at. There's a tool that I kind of like to check things out, and it's you may be aware of it, called Perplexity. And perplexity actually will identify uh, if you're into the AI um, uh, uh, world, uh, it will identify where the resources are, which is always, I think, smart to do.
2: Mm. That's that's good. My thought simply is if they can figure out how to read an AI program to identify it as AI, then somebody along the line in the future will try to figure out how to get around it. Mm-hmm. As I said, we have a lot of smart people, and while there are certain things, again, AI is so new. I mean, six months ago, a year mm-hmm. ago, it was it was make believe. Now, mm-hmm. you go on uh, Google. And Google will tell you, would you like to use AI for looking up anything you want? And so, as I said, this is just the birth of this program. As I mentioned regarding the uh, the ability to change genes, this is just the beginning. And yeah. what happens under the mattress will stay under the mattress until somebody is ready to kind of come forward and of course if they want to get thrown into jail that's their particular situation but for the most part as i said the future simply moves forward and whether or not you hate it you love it whatever people are going to take advantage of improving what they see as an important step for our future even if it isn't Mm,
1: well and of course for all of our listeners, I've said it before, but um, if you're trying to copyright something that's been created by AI, um, it's a no-no. Because copyrights are for human intelligence. H-I. H-I. So, oh, that's really, good. Good. <laughs> that's oh, really good. Oh, word. I could see we could play together, Rudy. All right. So, you <laughs> know. And I did write, what happens under the mattress stays. And then I put in the lips sometimes. So <laughs> that's gonna be another sometimes, right. <laughs> as we go on. Hey, um before we get up to this next break, I you know, number one, I don't want this to end today, but before we get to our final break, let's can we kiss on some of the uh, the the changes that have happened and this certainly, Um, uh, So let's start with the self-publishing evolution. Dan Poyner was a close friend of mine, as well as with Brian Judd, who is one of your authors as well. Um, And a lot's happened, that stigma, the nose up in the air. And there are some amazing things that have come out uh, of self-publishing, which I really refer to in most cases as the evolution of where indie publishing came into play. But you may alter my thinking here.
2: No, I, I actually agree with you. The fact is that from what I have read, <clears throat> each year the number of self-published books continue to grow. At this point, there are over 2 million mm-hmm. self-published books that come out each year. I know. Now, of that, uh, not a, a small portion of 2 million Uh, are people who want to see if they can sell their books to the general market, to markets that they feel their book would fit into. The larger portion of that market are for people who want to simply publish their books for their own needs, for their family, for friends, Mm -hmm. not necessarily for uh, general consumption, Mm -hmm. but in any case. The the bottom line is that it provides people with an ability to pass on information to future generations so they can say, this is what your grandfather did, this is what Mm -hmm. your great-grandfather did, this is what your great-great-great-grandfather did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to do that is now open for anybody who simply wants to write their history down, or write a novel down, or write whatever they want to do, and preserve it in a book. And that book can basically be not only just as on a paper, but it can be an ebook, and it can be turned into an audio book. So, uh, all sorts of advantages have taken place in regard to that market. Selling the book, however, is its own particular. Uh, uh, Problem, Uh, and that's because unless you're in the business, you don't necessarily understand how books get sold. Um, There are a lot of smoke and mirror situations in which people believe something is how it works. In fact, it doesn't work that way. But the more people who believe it, the less problem these people will have to face because they know that's not going to work for most people. We produce a book called How to Promote Your Book and one of the keys to it is to understand how important an author can be. For most commercial publishing companies, if a book doesn't sell within the first 2 to 3 months, they usually back off marketing the book. Authors don't know this, but unfortunately it is standard. And uh, if a book does reasonably well, they will continue to market for another three months. Uh, if it simply stays where it is, they just move on to what other book they have uh, turned out.
1: It, it's, that's called what's next? what's next. All right, We're going to take our final break here. Um, we're going to come back to that time frame. M- my experience is that I'm seeing the traditional markets back off within a few weeks if there's not a buzz going on in your book but we'll be back we'll talk we're talking with Rudy Shear <laughs> With me for this episode of the Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing podcast is who I believe is an amazing man, Rudy Schur. And he's, you know, he's been in publishing for over four decades, um, starting with, with sales um, in that and then becoming you know, a full-blown publisher of square one publishers based out of New York. Um, Rudy, I um, I know we were talking about marketing because I think it's so essential and an author has to know who the big WHO they're exactly writing for. And I'm assuming you want that as the publisher too mm-hmm. um, um, to go into and going marketing. But there there are so many lures out here to pull people in, to almost like a seduction, I see, that people get caught up in a bunch of stuff that they have no business going down that path because they're not committed themselves or they basically get screwed over. So can you talk about some of the scammy stuff that goes on right now? Sure. Um, Sure.
2: Essentially, one of my authors who wanted to use... I did not want to publish his book simply because it wasn't in a marketplace that we work. I chose to go with a hybrid publisher and I asked him to ask them some questions. He asked the questions. he never got back to me, and so he signed up. About three weeks ago, he got back to me and asked me a question that i I was i heard, but I couldn't believe. And he said that the publisher he was working with said to him, uh, if he would pay him $25,000, he would be able to get his book sold to a book chain, 5,000 copies of a book sold to a book chain in the UK. And I kind of said, he told you, what? And mm-hmm. he said, yep, uh, 25000 and he could get this book chain to pick it up in the UK. And I said, you realize that all the books you give to a bookstore are returnable. And what's more is, your book is about an American situation. Why would you think that your book would sell in the UK, and he was so enamored of the book he wrote, he was blind to the basic logic of seeing that. Now, that is one of the most outrageous things I have heard anybody promise an author to begin with. But the fact is, if you simply look at some of the things these companies tell you, and check them out you realize that what they're promising can never happen now along with that is there are other companies there are other hybrid publishers that don't make these crazy promises and essentially are upfront with you in regard to how well your book can do or how well your book cannot do and unfortunately they are a minority of the uh, marketplace, but um, one of the easiest things to do is ask the company that you're interested in uh, to be able to uh, talk to other authors they have worked with to just see how their relationship has been so that if, in fact, they've made promises that they have not been able to keep... You will hear that from the authors. If they don't want to give you the names of anybody who you feel you want to contact, they should then be under suspicion. And the fact is, unfortunately, um, too many authors listen to what they say in regard to these crazy promises and say to themselves, you know what? I'm going to be the next best-selling author in the country, only to lose anywhere from and, and again, 5000 is just a basic uh, beginning, but it can go up to 100000 People literally throw away money without realizing that they're never going to get it back, nor are they ever going to reach the level that they think they've been promised. So it's a dangerous uh, – uh, and, and nobody is watching. I mean, it goes on every day. The government isn't watching – Police don't see it as swindling, but the fact is, it is as illegal as you can probably make it. So okay. that's my take on
1: that. Okay, can you, for our listeners, um, w- would you give your definition of a hybrid publisher? Sure. sure.
2: Normally, what happens is a hybrid publisher has the ability to reach marketplaces that a normal publisher can reach. It may be a little different from the standpoint of these markets that they reach understand that these books are, for the most part, self-published, but they're done in a way that is professionally prepared by these companies. So the, the good companies know what they're doing. They're able to edit books. They're able to typeset the books, produce books that are Uh, commercial in regard to the way they're set up, and they have the existing ability to get the books out. Many of the newer, good hybrid publishing companies use social media to get the word out. And for the most part, publishers, commercial publishers, now benefit from all the social uh, networks that are out there as well. They are able to reach people who are in for example, if if you're trying to sell your book into Barnes and Nobles, there is a buyer at Barnes and Noble's who looks for these kinds of books. They feel that they can trust certain hybrid publishers for what they are doing. But the important thing is to understand that the hybrid publisher is being paid for all the services that they're providing. In many instances, the authors get a larger royalty, which basically turns on certain authors. Of course, the idea is you're trying to make money on your book, but unfortunately, if you've spent $30,000 and you get 1500 back, you know that uh, you haven't done really well with that particular company. And as I said The fact is you have to do your homework in order to do it. These companies need to basically have good connections with the marketplaces that exist and are able to tell you how to actually get out and market your book correctly.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you you have, Rudy, a resource like that? I will often um, go to either Victoria Strauss or uh, 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 Author Beware, um, that Writer Beware to check out what you described, um, as we started talking about this, I am seeing. I have to tell you, I'm getting emails daily from authors with the um, agency type of scam. With the uh, you know, we will take your book and resell it to another publisher, and and you know, all of this kind of stuff. And it's a, it's a whole new breed that has come out. It's kind of equivalent to the Nigerian e-letter that used to come out. You know. <laughs> it's, it's, right, but, but it seems to be American-based. I don't know, uh, but um, but there's a lot of this out here, and and I, I guess the old saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it's not. It mm-hmm. Needs to be reinforced first. And there are sites
2: that you can stupid. an author can go to to actually learn who to stay away from.
1: Hmm. You want to name uh, a few of them?
2: I have actually the problem with me is it's not a marketplace that I, I actually look at at all. Too. So it, that in itself would be a wonderful thing to let authors know that they have a source to basically look up the company they may be dealing with to either stay with them or run like hell.
1: Yeah, and and there there are just whole groups. So I mentioned to all of you, uh, uh, Victoria Strauss. Uh, Writer Beware blog is a good blog to know about, um, and there has been a whole in the Writer Beware. Uh, Victoria has a whole whole spiel on uh, the these um, uh, these publishing and marketing and fake literary agency scams. So it it you need to do all of you your homework. I'm giving you the two, you know, the names that I, you know, I trust and I go to, and I actually will write and say, look at I this is, uh, I was able to produce a, a letter, and they said they had been looking for this kind of a letter from this particular group, and it was like, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> and we, you know, that's what I would. Know, go out. Go to the Google. Everyone, go to the Google. Don't do what ninety percent of the people do. They stop on page one. You're going to have to dig in. And and I've done a blog several times on this. You know, you put the name of the company or the person, and you add the word scam. Put the name of the company and the person. Add the word complaint. The name of the company or the person, and add the problems. And and I, you know, I have like seven keywords you go after, and you have to dive down to figure out. What's buried? Because these companies figure out how to bury, so they only stay on top on page one. So be careful.
2: That's great information. Yeah,
1: thank you. All right, so what do you see is going to happen? We, you know, we have a, a few minutes here uh, left. Where's publishing going? Are print books going to go out of style? Rudy, what do you think?
2: Publishing is going to still be what it is with certain companies controlling the overall market and independents basically finding marketplaces for themselves. Um, It's harder to sell books because of the tremendous number of other books coming out, but if you love what you do, if you turn out books that are important, it's what you want to do. And so um, as far as publishing disappearing, it's commercial publishing disappearing. It's not going to disappear. The interesting thing I've seen over the years is how these giant publishers continue to grow. And so as I said, as they grow, they can control more. For us, we'll do what we'll do for the next couple of uh, decades. Uh,
1: with, that, with that, we're out of time. Rudy, sure, thank you so much.